0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Isaiah's Gospel, chapter 7. And as you're doing that, I'll pray and ask God to bless our time together. Father, we thank you for this time. And we just ask your blessing, Lord, upon your word. And thank you so much for this time of year, Lord, that we can come together as family. And we can learn, Lord, just these incredible truths that you have in your word for us. So go before us as we give this time up to you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said... Amen. So we're doing a series called The Greatest Stories Ever Told. This is Greatest Stories Ever Told, number three. The virgin birth of Jesus the Christ last week was Greatest Stories Ever Told, number two. The birth of Jesus the Christ. And we said it was the Christ because it's not his middle or last name, Christ, right? It's Jesus and Christ is Messiah or the anointed one. And so today we'll look at the virgin birth and its significance. What are your thoughts? Is it important to believe in the virgin birth? Yes or no? Yes. 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 Any ideas why? Why is it important to believe that there was a virgin birth? Doctrines in what? Doctrines in other religions that are out there don't believe it. Okay. a not seed. Okay, so there's something to do with the seed of man there. Monica? Well, just piggyback on like, that. It authenticates Jesus. Authenticates? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a prophetic uh, word we're seeing right here. We're going to go to Isaiah 7 as is our first verse. So there's a prophetic fulfillment. you don't believe that, you going to believe everything else. I mean, okay. So it's a slippery slope when we start picking and choosing what the Bible says, what we're going to believe, and uh, whether we're going to believe it or not, right? Well, I'm not sure if that can happen. Yeah, it's quite calling call. it a miracle. It's a miracle. <laughs> All right. So in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. So, interesting little prophecy this time in the nation of uh, Israel in Isaiah 7. Um, the leader ahaz is saying i'm not going to ask god for a sign and and the bible's telling us oh yeah well he's going to give you a sign you're not going to ask god for a sign testing god but he's going to give you one and so it's just an interesting little insight into what's taking place there historically jump over to matthew's gospel chapter one matthew the first book in the new testament matthew chapter one and we're going to look at A few verses, probably about seven or so, starting at verse 18. Um, After that, we're going to go to Luke chapter 2, and then we're going to touch on why this is significant. Now, as we read through this, we're going to Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. But as we read through this, I want you to take into consideration just historically what's taking place. You have a very, very godly couple that is very young in this culture. And they are God-seekers. They're seeking God. They love God in this forsaken culture, God-forsaken culture, if you will. Um, But nonetheless, they're God-fearing. And I want you to think of just from the perspective of being young and godly and what this would mean to your life if if this interruption took place to you. And, And what would your perspective be? How would you handle something like this? So this is, and and you don't have to look too far, right? Because God loves doing little things in our lives. So here we go, Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. The Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. We have a mouthful in that verse. Betrothed, betrothal. What does that mean? that they were betrothed. It was more than engaged because it was legally binding. To be unbetrothed, they would have to do what? File for divorce. And so they hadn't consummated the marriage, come together in union as husbands and wives do, right? To make little offspring. They hadn't done that, but they were betrothed, promised to one another, committed by the Lord to one another. So after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, Joseph, it says before they came together, coming together in sexual union, it says she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Last week we looked at this and we said that God the Father did not have some sexual union with Mary to produce this offspring, right? The Son, the Holy Spirit interceded and place the baby Jesus in the womb of Mary. And so I personally believe, I don't know it's not anywhere in the scriptures, but I personally believe it started as a zygote, a a one-celled organism, right? Where sperm meets egg, and boom, you have a life independent of the mother. And then it goes through its natural processes of embryo, fetus, development, heartbeat, ears growing, nose, hair, and all that stuff, right? And so I believe that was the process, but the Holy Spirit interceded, and God the Father is not only God the Father to us, but He is the Father of Jesus Christ. He's the Heavenly Father. Jesus, unique from all others in that relationship, in that He is the only begotten of the Father. Very, very important word. Begotten, as if God interceded and created this being helped in the production of the baby jesus verse 19 then joseph her husband being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example was minded to put her away secretly so joseph and mary are very young how young i don't know i don't know but in this day in this culture Women got pregnant for the first time between the ages of 10 and 14. And so you would think that God would kind of, maybe in this culture, meet the same standards. So marry somewhere around that age to have her first baby. Imagine that. Pretty young, huh? It's always been thought, about 12-ish, 14-ish, right? But is that young? Yeah. That's way young. That's a kid, right? But that's when people were having babies at this time. And so Joseph is a godly man, and he has the law that he has access to. And in the law, if you are betrothed, and that whom you are betrothed to gets pregnant, that's a capital offense. But what does he say? He, he didn't want to make a spectacle of her. And he wanted to just kind of graciously just put it. It says, what does it say? Minded to put her away secretly. And so, just not only is he a godly man, but isn't that gracious? Isn't that merciful on his part? I want to embarrass her. I, I, because what would you think, right? Again, put yourself in their sandals. Your fiancé is with child and you're like, oh, heck no. But, Who is gonna blow his brain? that's what we're thinking, right? Right? But he, they could stone a woman. Right. <coughs> is that what you were going to say? Yeah, you had your hand up? Okay. Yeah, so this is a big deal, right? Verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, coming from the line of David, do not be afraid to take till you marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And so Jesus, Greek for Joshua, Yeshua, right? Verse 22, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. The scripture we read out of Isaiah. Verse 24, then Joseph being aroused from sleep did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her, did not come together in sexual union, noticed, um, did not know her till she brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Okay? Again, you have a lot happening, but let's put ourselves in Joseph's position. What is Joseph going to experience most likely because of this? Um. As far as culturally, Mm -hmm. community, Mm -hmm. probably ridicule. They probably would see him as like, like like a fool, a foolish guy, you know. He's a godly man. And because God wanted to do something special, it's going to come at a cost for this young man. Do you think in heaven Joseph right now is saying, boy, was that worth it? On the other side of eternity, different perspective, right? But again, at the time, that's got to be a difficult thing. I would imagine that's got to be a very troubling thing of being a bastard, of being a child without a father, right? Without a legitimate father. The mother, the the husband was in spirit married to the spa, the, the wife, if you will, when they had. Okay, jump over to Luke's Gospel, chapter two. We're going to see the same account, but on the different sandal. We'll see it from Mary's perspective. Luke's gospel, chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. When you get it, say, got it. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Okay, So just taking that in its context of what's taking place, God's at work. And when God's at work doing a big work, better believe that there's a lot of little works that are taking place and God is lining things up. And so there's prophecies that must be fulfilled and God is orchestrating this very thing. Guys, nothing is different in our lives. Nothing is different in our lives. When God is doing a big work in your life, better believe that he's doing a lot of little works. He's bringing things together, putting pieces together. It's a beautiful thing to behold when you take a step back and you look at the tapestry of your life and what God has done and is doing. And so a decree goes out that everybody needs, basically it's a, um, it's a uh, what is it called? The uh, Verse 2, it's a census. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And I I found this interesting for her to be delivered. She's going to be delivered from this and give delivery. That's interesting. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the in okay so mary being a part of this whole thing found with child the decree goes out they've got to hightail it they got to head on out um we have all these traditions where mary's riding on a donkey do not say anywhere near mary's riding on a donkey i think lorraine was pointing out some of the uh stories when you guys were doing the test at the church you guys went to huh right yeah, yeah. And you're kind of like, uh, how many wise men were there? Well, it doesn't say. It just says there were three gifts. So we assume there's three wise men, but it doesn't say that. Um, and when they got to him, where was he? Was he in uh, a manger? Was he in Best Western? Was he in a house? Right. A house. And I was like, see, house, house. <laughs> and everyone was shouting, manger, manger. I'm like, no. <laughs> so, yeah, if we read through the scriptures, then we get the, some of the gaps filled. But a lot of it is tradition. And we see, you know, little pictures and postcards and, and posters. But uh, let, let let the scriptures speak. And where the scriptures are silent, sometimes, uh, you know, we just need to hold back and be careful. And so Mary is going to go through all of this. She is going to, as well, experience certain things. What is Mary going to experience on, on this end uh, because of this? She's not coming together with her husband. They're not having sex before this, um, before this delivery. Says it right there in the text. Um, but what is she going to experience? She's going to experience embarrassment and uh, ridicule from everybody, saying, "Oh, look at her!" But what she's done, and <clears throat> she's not true to Joseph. Mm-hmm. And as Steve already mentioned, she is going to be, come into question because they do say, we weren't born of illegitimate uh, means. Uh, we yeah, yeah, right, okay, yeah. So, there's definitely something that's going to hang over her head, right? Yeah. At the same time, I said that to her. Yeah. The Pharisees, the religious Sorry. leaders. Said yes, said that Steve? She had, she had Gabriel to her mm-hmm. and called her blessed and then her response to that was called magnificent. Mm-hmm. so she was truly uh, humble and very courageous to do what mm-hmm. and in Luke's gospel what you do is you see her reaction on more than one occasion she she hid these things in her heart so she would hide it in her heart when Simeon comes to praise this birth and see His anointed, see the Lord's Messiah, and she just, just says he, she she hid it in her heart. She she just pondered it, thought about it, let it kind of sit with it, and then I think when Jesus was probably crucified, you know, things started coming together, pieces of the puzzle, and just probably throughout His life. And then everything the shepherds shared. Mm-hmm. She, just that she pondered it in her in her heart. Okay. So something that I want to just derive for us definitely is. God is at work in your life. God is at work in my life. God is faithful to do what God needs to do in our lives. And recognize that when God is doing a big work in your life, there's a lot of little things that are being lined up to be able to get you to that place for God to bring that big work to come to fruition. And so don't ever think that God is doing nothing or God has uh, left you or God has... um, I don't know, Just he's preparing us for what he has prepared for us. I don't know a, a better way to put it than that. Yeah, you just feel like, yeah, you feel that. Don't we feel that, though, sometimes? like. Yeah, because life has its way of take, take taking on certain things, right? And we look at it and we're thinking, Lauren, are you sure this is supposed to be happening right now? Right? And it gets tough. But God's always at work, okay? We're going to look at five uh, reasons why the doctrine of the virgin birth is important. Um, And I I think it's important for us to know this because we will be challenged at times. There's some scriptures in many of these, but let's start. I'm going to start with number five. Um, Somebody had mentioned it earlier. I think it was Steve. Um, The number one reason why uh, this doctrine is important for us to believe is because the Bible says so. The Bible tells us that it was a virgin. In Hebrew, there is a word that they translate virgin, and it means maiden, young woman, or virgin, somebody who has never had sex. When they translated the Old Testament into Greek, it's called the Septuagint. And there's only one word for virgin, somebody who has never had sex, And there's one word for young maiden or young woman, and that's a different word. Guess what word they put in the scriptures when they translated the Septuagint? Virgin. And the Greek word in the New Testament is virgin. And so many, uh, what do they call them, people who criticize the Bible, critics, Um, have said, well, no, it's just in in the Old Testament, that scripture in Isaiah, chapter 7, it's young woman. Every single time that that word, by the way, is translated in the Old Testament, it's virgin. But it can mean young woman. So those are things to take into consideration. So to believe in the virgin birth is because the Bible says so. If Jesus were not actually born of a virgin, then the Bible is wrong. If it is wrong concerning the virgin birth, then it is possible that it may be an error about other matters. Once the door opens to the possibility of error in Scripture, the eventual and logical result is that the entire foundation of the Christian faith will crumble. The doctrine of the virgin birth and the credibility of Christianity go hand in hand. This is either a miraculous book that God gave us or it's not. And if you want to compare holy or inspired books, study the Book of Mormon. Filled with ridiculous fallacies. Just things that like you're like, what? The Quran. You can't say that in Muslim countries because you'd be killed. But just, this isn't God's word. And God has an ability to uh, get us the truth, infallible and inerrant, without error and without falsehood. Okay. Number two, it shows the uniqueness of Christ. Somebody said that. What the virgin birth does is show the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. No one else has ever come into the world the same way as Jesus The unique and miraculous nature of Jesus carried on through his entire life. His birth was a miracle. His public ministry consisted of miracles. Jesus miraculously lived a sinless life. He miraculously came back from the dead and left this world in a miraculous way. From his entrance into this world until his departure, the life of Jesus Christ was a miracle. It's a miracle. Number three, we'll look at some scriptures for this one. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. A third reason why the virgin birth was is crucial to the Christian faith concerns our salvation. Without the sinlessness of Christ, there would be no salvation. Christ came, according to the Apostle Paul, to save those who were under the law. Uh, Galatians chapter 4. Go ahead and turn your Bibles there. We'll read it. Galatians chapter 4. Somebody read me verses 4 and 5 when you get it. Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, God for sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Amen. So born under the law. This echoes Jesus's own statement. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. In Exodus twelve five, God required a sacrifice that was without blemish. The Bible said, your lamb shall be without blemish. If Jesus were a sinner in any sense of the word, then he could not provide salvation for us. However, because he came into the world by a supernatural means and lived a sinless life, he could be that sacrifice for our sins, without spot and without blemish. The Bible makes this clear in what? 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Very important, right? Number four, Jesus had a sinless nature. Fourth reason why the virgin birth is important concerns the sinless nature. Character of Christ. If Jesus had a human father, then we, he would have inherited a sinful nature as the rest of us have. Go and turn to Romans chapter 5. Somebody read me verse 12. Romans chapter 5. Somebody read me verse 12, please. Verse 12. Romans 5. Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death. All men all okay, So through one man, speaking of Adam, sin entered the world. If Jesus came from Joseph, then that sin nature would have been continued and handed down through Joseph to Jesus. He couldn't have been his father. Two things would have happened there. Remember, God had cursed one, um, one king from David's land and said, no man... From his line the sit on the throne of David, so Christ had to come through Mary, who was also a direct descendant yes. of Joseph, and her line was not cursed. Right. So God fulfilled the prophecy of giving David a son, who was Christ. And it wasn't through son, was First Peter chapter two verse twenty-two: the Bible says, "Who committed no sin, nor was guile found in his mouth." And John testified in 1 John 3 5, and you know that he he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Okay? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. Number five, the most important reason to hold to the belief of the virgin birth concerns Jesus' identity as God the Son. Jesus had a heavenly origin. The second person of the Trinity. If Joseph were his true father, then Jesus would only be a human being. He would not be the Son of God, as Scripture clearly states. He would have had his beginning in time rather than eternally existing, as the Bible states. In John 1.1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Thus the virgin birth is crucial to Jesus being the son of God. And so we have five reasons. There are at least five reasons why the virgin conception of Christ is an important doctrine. First, it confirms that Jesus is uh, it confirms Jesus heavenly origin. Second, it is necessary for his sinless nature. In addition, the virgin conception was also necessary for him to be the perfect sacrifice. It also points out the uniqueness of Jesus. Finally, the virgin birth is important because the Bible says that is what happened. And so again, we need to come to the scriptures and let the word of God speak whatever it says. And the people that get in trouble are people who come with preconceived ideas out to form their doctrinal understanding or their belief system or something that they heard and they're going to make it prove through the scriptures. I think you get in trouble. Just let the word of God speak. We sang it today, word of God speak. And so let God be true in every man of liars. Let the scriptures speak into your life, into uh, just the reality of what God wants to bring to you. Don't fight it. Don't resist it allow God to be true. If we as the church would simply obey what we already know, we would be a dynamic church. And unfortunately, we're not. We disobey and disregard things that we already know to be true. Oftentimes. And it's always to our peril. Question? Yeah. Okay, so Joseph... He was the first father of Jesus. Jesus is stepfather. Okay. Yeah, so he, well. Think, right. There, right. A, well, you know, like, that, I didn't, I didn't know, like, um, he, Jesus knew he came from um, God. I think Jesus knew everything like from the very beginning jesus Yeah, yeah so you have this dual nature right the only guy that is fully god and fully man and that kenosis people are troubled with it jesus never stopped being fully god and yet every attribute of a human being he was fully man outside of a sin nature because he didn't have a sinful father the seed of man never entered his being he's begotten of the Father in heaven. So it, it's this just crazy thing to imagine. Je- Jesus know there's nothing he didn't know? <coughs> remember age 12 when um, the parents had left him at the temple. Mm-hmm. And they came and said, don't you know I'm my father's business? So? Mm. That's an interesting section because Mary comes to him. So they're in Jerusalem for the Passover. They would go every year, the Bible says. And they leave. And they, they have multiple companies between friends and family. And they leave. And they're a day's journey out, a day's journey out. And Mary's like, hey, Joseph, you have Jesus? No, I ain't got Jesus. I thought you had Jesus. It's not my turn to watch him, right? And so they go back to Jerusalem, and he's in the temple confounding the scholars, right? And she says, your father and I were worried sick about you, basically, and kind of paraphrase, right? But she does say, your father basically referring to Joseph, and I were worried sick and he says, Don't you know that I had to be uh, that I I had to be about my father's my father's business. Yes. I'm taking care of pop." corrected in mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. what's interesting too is that he was tempted he was by Satan spiritually too. You know, not necessarily worldly because he did you know he was chosen, but he was also tempted differently than other people about like giving him the world and he already had the world you know like when uh, he was on the he was on the mountain and you know after the 40 days mm-hmm. Matthew chapter 4 the temptation of Christ Lorraine does the the Bible teach us anywhere that Jesus did miracles as a child or just nope only only at age 12 we see him in the temple confounding the scholars <coughs> Some kind of the apocryphal books. Because I was kind of wondering, remember I told you I watched the movie The Young uh-huh. Messiah uh, and it was a beautiful film and their kind of idea of his childhood and miracles that he may have uh, performed and there also the temptation of the devil in the mm-hmm. yeah, Temptation doesn't happen until after the baptism and he's 30 years old. Right. So again, there's apocrypha, there's extra books out there that teach some of this stuff. There's a gospel of Thomas and all of these different books that aren't con- yeah, canonical. Yeah. Um well, writings. Yeah. <laughs> does, he, does he call Joseph Dad? Yeah. Nowhere in the scriptures does he call Joseph Dad. I don't know what he called him. Maybe Pops, Pops. <laughs> not Daddy O. He called God Daddy. He always called referred to his father in heaven. Oh, the next child that was born, how far apart were they from Jesus? Nobody uh, knows, but he does have brothers named in the scriptures. Jude is his half-brother through Mary and Joseph, and James the less, right? James the less, who writes the book of James, is his brother, and he had sisters multiple. And so, why Catholicism teaches that Jesus had uh, no brothers and sisters, Mary had no no children after Jesus, or that um, she was a perpetual virgin, right? That she would always remain a virgin. That's not true. It says it says right here in the scripture that we read that they didn't have sexual union until after Jesus was born, meaning they did after they lived a normal life as a family under a house and a home. So. I don't know why, like what that would do. Mary is not a co-redemptress. She's not a very godly, just an incredible woman. Um, I think she's either marginalized. So it's always one of two extremes. Either nobody pays attention to her and she's marginalized or they elevate her to God's status. Both of them are wrong. I think she was a godly woman. I think she's a hero. I think she's somebody to look at to be able to set your life as an example. But I don't think she's somebody to be worshipped. So we'll, we'll close here on the application point as I was studying this week and I'm looking at this section of scripture. It goes back to um, think of what they went through in order to um, allow God, participate with God, obey God in the midst of what God was communicating to them. There was a cost. There was a price to pay. There should be a cost and a price in our lives to serve God, period. He's going to ask us to do things that we're not comfortable with. He's going to ask us to do things that we're not going to understand in the moment. But faith says, I'm going to obey. I'm going to obey because God knows what he's talking about. And I don't understand it right now. And I don't, mm, it's going to cost me something. But I love that scripture that Jesus says, for those who would come after me must first deny themselves, take up your cross daily and follow me. And I think that's important for us to remember that when you study a case study like Mary and Joseph and Caleb and Joshua and Moses and David and you know these people in the scriptures that we we elevate and we say, "Man, these are godly people, God-fearing people, Abraham, the father of the faith, and all of these people that we look at, they obeyed. they <laughs> obeyed God. I mean it, it doesn't like it's not like some, some, some pixie dust little moment in life they, they did the hard stuff they obeyed when it was difficult and that's why they're elevated in the scriptures as individuals to look to as examples so we'll close here what are some of the hard things that God is calling you to do what is God showing you right now having you depend upon him trust in him go ahead worry a lot of worry Worry is the uh, advance payment on the debt that has already been paid. So it's it's um, it's a hamster on a wheel. You're going nowhere. You feel like you're doing something when you worry, but you're going nowhere. And so it's like, kind of like unforgiveness when we eat rat poison and wait for the rat to die. It's a waste. So be very, very careful. I'll let him. So it's... Don't worry. Worry is uh, self-centered. Concern is other-centered. So if you're concerned, that's okay to be concerned about others and and their station and what's going on. Worry is generally self-centered. So try and and just ask the Lord to help you be concerned, but not to worry. Um, Instead, the Bible says pray instead of worrying. Our paradigms, unfortunately, in America is so skewed because we have so much. We have such an abundance that it's hard to grasp what is our needs and what is greener grass syndrome, where we see what others have and we think that that means something. So I'll just throw that out just for us in general. It's tough because we all worry. Every every one of us worries. We all we all get into those places where our 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 minds and our thoughts just overwhelm us, and um, so we're we're all in this boat with her. But it's just so useless of a of a of a thing to do, because it just the enemy, man. We're right for the picking, because and then he starts planting this junk, and before you know it, we're having a conversation with the devil, and he's just taking us in this circle, and then he's like, he leaves, and now we're all still fighting, all worried out, and he's like, yeah, I left that one alone a long time ago. They did it all by themselves, you know, after I tempted them with it, you know. So. Right. The opposite of faith is unbelief. And so uh, worry is an aspect of unbelief because you're not walking by faith. So faith is trusting and taking God at his word. And that's the language of eternity. And we want to speak the language of eternity. We want to have faith. We want to trust that God knows what he's doing.